Welcome to The Dig on the Huskers Radio Network podcast, powered by Emeritus. Featuring Nebraska Volleyball Director of Operations, Lindsay Peterson. Here's your host, Jessica Cootie. Welcome back into another episode of The Dig. I'm Jessica Cootie, and joined this week by the Director of Operations, Lindsay Peterson. Well, another big weekend. Uh, How did you guys feel coming off the weekend? Yeah, I mean, this time of year, you walk away with two wins or it you're happy. I mean, it's a slugfest this time of year. Teams are trying to survive, trying to get wins to advance, hopefully make themselves eligible for NCAA tournament. Um, it's you're in mid-November. You have you're dealing with fatigue mentally, physically, emotionally with players, and it's just the grueling Big Ten. So uh, to walk away with two wins, it's it's a good feeling and um, keep this team focused and motivated and hopefully find a edge here these last two weeks of conference. I said weekend, but you guys did have the split between Wednesday, Sunday. Uh, is that helpful at this time of the year to have that, or, or does it matter at this point? You just line up and play when, you, when you're told to line up and play. Um, well, the players might think it's helpful mm-hmm. because we can't train as hard. It, it's a lighter training week, training block for us, just because when you play Wednesday, you can't go hard the day before. Um, we'd played the previous Sunday, so Monday was an off day. So the number of days that we had to really uh, train hard in the gym were limited this past week. And so it's it's good, but it also is challenging, too, when you're trying to throw that into a schedule and get on. It's a different routine, a different schedule. We're very much, you know, routine-minded program, and we like to stay on what how we do it. So they have to adjust that a little bit, but... Um, it was it was nice not to play back to back or have a, a travel weekend and and be here at home and um, this week coming week will be a little better not having a midweek match. Before we get into diving into to both the matches and, and all of that, I did want to ask you because I've been asked a lot too. The Sunday matches it seems like I, I get asked a lot. Like it seems like we're playing more Sunday matches this year, and we were kind of just chatting about that before we started recording. But that's just it's just scheduling and how it works out, right? It's it's not like it's any more or any less. It's just and it depends on a lot of different factors, right? That's correct. We we had several Sunday matches last year. It was just spread out a little bit more um, this year. The way it fell was basically November. We got hit with three Sunday matches. Some of that was due to football. Some program or some schools can't do football and volleyball on the same day. They can't handle it logistically. So that was why our Rutgers match got moved from a Saturday to a Sunday. Um, and then the, with the Big uh, Ten parameters and their scheduling that they look at, they put in for you to have a Friday Sunday at some point throughout your Big Ten schedule where. Friday might be home and Saturday's away or vice versa, just as um, a different look and to provide opportunity for those Sunday game matches to maybe be on BTN. Uh, So it just happened with our schedule. It fell. Those all came in November for us, but we had a lot of back-to-back ones leading up to this last month of season. Right. Well, let's talk about in the two wins. Seems like uh, the middles performed very well. How um, excited were you guys about and and pleased with the the performances of uh, Becca Alec and Andy Jackson over these last two wins. Those those two have put a lot of focus and effort in the last couple of weeks in training and trying to be more of offensive threats. They start off the year pre- being very offensive, and um, we needed to be more of a balanced offense and get them up and find ways to for them to be a factor, even if it wasn't a perfect pass, and find ways to score behind the setter. And so we've put a lot of focus on that in practice the last few weeks, and you're starting to see it play out now in the matches. They're getting more confidence. I think you see Bergen more confident and setting them and trusting they're going to be up um, when she may not be able to see them. It might be a blind set if she's off and is just trusting they're going to be there for her to fire it into them. And a lot of times 
I mean, Merritt with having the weekend she's had lately and the matches she had, we know she's going to get a ton of focus. So if we can push the middle of the court, those hitters are going to be one-on-one -on -one a lot of times because they're not going to get the wing blockers aren't going to help because they're going to be worried about our pen hitters because they've been producing big numbers for us. So it's a big advantage for our offense. It continues to put a lot of pressure and stress on the opposing team's defense and their blockers. And anytime you have a one-on-one -on -one opportunity as attacker, the odds are usually in your favor. So um, really getting those two with that mindset of finding a way to get up and be available and have those situations has been key. And, and you saw that play out this weekend. How much of, it, of an advantage is it, too, to have two like that with Andy and Becca and the caliber of players that they are? Uh, it's a great advantage. We're very lucky and blessed to have them in Husker uniforms. And um, they both bring a different look and mentality to our offense. Andy's great behind off one leg. That's, you know, she plays, that's the position she is in the middle. Is, so she's up front when the setter's up front, so she can run behind. But she's very dynamic and explosive. And, and we can take advantage of her physical, you know, talents and traits of being such a high flyer and uh, physical to get above the block. So that's one reason why we have her going on slides a lot. And then Becca is just quick in the middle. She's a great uh, attacker in front of the setter. So she can see, get in the gaps and move around and, and uh, hits a little bit of different type of set than what Andy does. So to have um, exceptional players in both those positions is um, not usual for most teams, and, and especially at the level that these guys play at is very unusual. So we're, we're extremely lucky, and, and Maggie as well. Like when Maggie comes in, she, she's the same. Like she's great in front. She could fill in for either one of them. She's a little more versatile, could do be a slide hitter or hit in front. So um, we have a, a great group of middles, mm -hmm. and I know a lot of teams that's not the case. Usually you're in and you're out. Not to bury the lead here, but Lainey Choboy and her play, uh, again, broke – all of social media last night was a number one play on the Sports Center top 10. How about that play? What were you thinking when you saw it go down? Yeah, we joke with Lainey. We say there's no stop in a sentence with Lainey. So if you say anything to Lainey, you better not say stop because it's not going to happen. I mean, she just <laughs> doesn't understand that word. Um, we know that with her, no play is really dead until it's blown dead because she just makes incredible plays, incredible hustle plays. Um, she's very quick. She can get off the ground quick and move to make a play. And, um, and she's a risk taker. I mean, she's not afraid to get dirty or jump into a crowd or hit the bleachers to make a, a play for her team. And she's always been like that. She's had that trait through club and recruiting her. That was one of her strengths. I mean, she's just a tough, tough kid and um, really gritty when it comes to defense. And you saw how our team just responded to that, how the crowd feeds off it. When you make an incredible play like that and how your team responds, I mean, it just gets others fired up and it, it frustrates your opponents. I mean, when you think a ball's down and then somehow Laney gets it up by a diving play, that can really wear on the opponents mentally. And so um, can't say enough about her and her effort and just she's feisty. She's really feisty. <laughs> you know, just it was unbelievable again like you said there's no stop and i'm sure that everybody in the in the stands are saying whoa whoa, whoa. and she just like, keeps running i think she jumped over a camera person but you know just that effort when did you guys see that that was going to be what she's going to do was it all the way back in in club when you were rec recruiting her yeah we saw it in club when she was with the national team you saw her make those plays or um, all-out effort flying over the bench always ending up in the scores table um she sometimes coach has to remind her even in practice like this is practice we don't need to make 
those type of heroic plays in practice. We know you can do it, but let's save it for a match when it matters and not get you injured in practice trying to do it. So we have to kind of brain her in a little bit in practice just to keep her safe. And um, But that's that's her trademark. I mean, that is Laney to a T, and you're going to get 110% with her no matter what. And uh, we, we love having that on a defense. Like I said, it just fuels our defense and really – really builds a lot of momentum for our team. What does it do, too, when you have someone like that, but then also, oh, by the way, you have one of the best libero's in the country in Lexi Rodriguez, when you have the, that duo that are on the same court together? It, it allows our defense to really just, you know, pr play free and just, we tell them, just go. Like, we don't tell them you have this area to play. I mean, they obviously know what they're reading around the block, but no ball is too far out of their reach. If they're going for it and they think they can get it, then you get out of their way, basically. And um, like I said, it's just as, as an opposing team to always feel like, geez, we have a big block they have to get it past, and then yet we have this relentless defense behind the block. And that really wears on teams offensively, and you start seeing them making hitting errors or try to do shots they don't normally hit to, one, not hit to our libero, or um, two, try to find a different option that they're not comfortable hitting, which causes them to err. So it's, you know... Our defense is, uh, we've always talked about our defense is something that we've been proud of and we're known for, our block and D. And so when you have a great physical blocking team and then you combine that with the mentality that Lexi and Laney bring to the court defensively, that's what makes us so tough. I talked to Laney this summer, you know, she joked about people said, oh, you're crazy to go play behind Lexi. And, but she could be starting Levero probably for most other teams in the country. It seems like she really embraces her role, whatever that might be. What, I mean, what does that say about her as a player and a competitor that, hey, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it? Laney wants to play at the highest level and be the best player she can. And so understanding that maybe being behind somebody of Lexi's caliber and learning from her, but also playing another important role for our team um, is better than going somewhere and maybe playing a libero but not having the success or getting the training or being pushed as much as an athlete as she would here. And so you got to give her credit. That is a tough decision for an 18-year-old to make. A lot of people see, think, well, why wouldn't you just go where the playing time is? And that's not her mindset. She wants to be the best she can be. And, and she knew that coming here would push her and, and really test her to try to get her to that level. And if that meant playing behind a phenomenal player. I mean, we talk about all the time about our gym and how competitive it is. And, you know, that's something we pride ourselves on and why, why we get these elite athletes to come here is they want to compete every single day. And when you have that type of competition, I mean, if you have Laney on one side of the net, it's hard for our, our starters to get a kill in practice when she's playing defense on the other side of the net. Well, that only makes our starters better when she's, you know, not on their side of the court and she's being just as feisty in practice as she is in a match. So, um, it's it's not the mentality of a lot of athletes, mm -hmm. but the elite ones think that way, and and that's that's what Laney's train of thought, and we're lucky that that's what how she is, and and it's really aided to and and helped our team with the success they've had this year. So you were Nebraska's first ever libero, right? And take me through when that became a position in the NCAA. You were a setter, then a defensive specialist. Like how that conversation went? Like, hey, I'll play libero. I'll be the first one here. Yeah, well, we're going way back here in history, <laughs> aging me here. But um, it was my senior year when I when the libero came in, and I had come in as a setter um, when John took over as the head coach of sophomore or my sophomore year. Uh, he had gone with a five-one and asked if I would c consider being just a defensive player. And um, a lot of times they talk about how 
a setter has such a great feel for the game and a mindset, so it's a good transition setter to defensive player because you see the game so well. You have to as a setter. You have to understand the game. Same for that libero position or defensive player. So um, transition into that, and then uh, when the NCAA made the libero position official my senior year, then took a, uh, just moved into that, transitioned into that. It was a pretty flawless transition. It allowed me to be on the court more. At that time, the libero could not serve like they can now. So um, that was something that I, you know, did as a defensive specialist. I was always would go in and serve and then play through rotation. So that was a change in my role. But um, it was it was a fun change. It gave me the opportunity to be out there more, and I think it helps provide a little bit of stability on the court when you have a player out there that doesn't count against your sub count, is only in the back row, but is managing the back row because uh, it's vital. The communication is so important on the court, and so to have somebody running that from back and coordinating. Your defense and you know first contact serve receive um, is has only made the game better and um, you can just see how that position has grown from years and years ago when I played it to what the type of players and athletes and the impact it's had on the game. So they did a, a little piece with you featuring you in the in the broadcast in the game against Illinois. They talked about that and just like the legacy of the libero here. And being that you were the first, uh, how much pride do you take in, in where it is today with a couple of players, especially like Lexi, and then assuming if, if Laney's the one that moves into to that spot eventually, but just to have those that kind of tradition and, and that it started with you, how much pride do you take in that? I don't really think about the fact that I was the first. I just think I look at how much that position has grown and now the credit and the, um, the impact, like I said, it has made. And... You know, back when I played, there wasn't, you didn't even really talk about Olivero getting on an all-tournament team or All-American. It took several years for them, for, I guess, our sport to understand the role and the importance of that role and the impact they can make and that they're worthy of those same accolades as a setter, a middle, and outside, whatever. So I, I think when it first came in, it was just, this is the position, we're going to do this. And now it's it can totally um, impact a team and change the game, completely change the game. And... Uh, just to see then how much has changed to where Lexi's a freshman and is freshman of the year, national freshman of the year, first team All-American as a freshman as a libero. I mean, to get a libero on the first team um, All-American team is is very, very difficult. But you see it now year after year because these great teams wouldn't be what they were without that position if you didn't have somebody in that position that was phenomenal and played a huge role on the team. So I think that's what I'm most proud of is just to see how that position has grown and to see the value it's put put on of it is placed in our program, and that the coaches realize that, or we've always realized that it's an important piece of the team and only helps our team. And um, to now be, I mean, you go out and recruit a libero. It wasn't just oh, you have you're the shortest one on the team. Guess what? You're going to play this position. It's you go out and you try to seek out and find the best libero in the country to come in and hope to run your pass and defense for four years. Mm, fascinating. How, what separates a good libero to an elite libero? Uh, first and foremost would be passing. I mean, you want a libero that we joke that Lexi, you didn't touch very many balls, but there's a reason for that. They don't want to serve Lexi the ball. So you're forcing them to serve to other, uh, other p players on our team. Well, when you put Lexi in the middle of the court, I mean, a big percentage of serves end up in the middle of the court, even though you, uh, servers usually aren't trying to serve there. They're trying to stress edges of the court. But you put her in the middle of the court and your offense runs from that. So you have a great libero who's passing at very high numbers, um, allows your offense to be executed at a very high number and, and 
Um, offensively, I mean, you got to kill the ball to win matches. So if you're running your offense 10 to 15 feet off the net consistently, you're going to be a pretty easy offense to slow down. So to have a libero that is constantly putting the ball right where the setter needs it is a huge advantage. And so I think that's, that's the first sign. And then um, somebody that just has a great feel for the game. I mean, defensively, it's almost like Lexi, Laney, they have kind of the sixth sense of understanding where the ball's going to be before the ball's hit. They have a great eye to read the hitters, have a feel for what those hitters' tendencies are, and are just a step ahead. And that's not something you can really train. That's something that time and reps in the gym, playing the sport of volleyball, but also I think it, it's, it's kind of an intangible that a lot, some players just don't have. And the elite liberos have that, where they just see the game so incredibly well and at such a high level that they are always almost one step ahead defensively, which allows them to make those incredible plays throughout the match. Wow. You know, Coach was on his show last week, and we got into talking about you because Jalen was joking about how who's the scariest person. It was back in the Halloween episode. <laughs> who's the scariest person to get yelled at by on the team? And he actually said you probably. But And then that, that led to Coach in a discussion about how you were a coach before, and then you came over and, and moved into that director operations role, and you were a great coach. So take me through the decision of, of why you wanted to run, be the director of operations for this program and kind of be in that role for this program. Well, I remember when I played for John and he asked me what I was going to do in my future and I thought I was going to be a businesswoman and he said, have you thought about coaching? And I was like, yeah, I really hadn't put much thought into it. And so he asked me to stay my fifth year. I was graduating at semester to be a student coach. And um, at that point, I realized that stepping away from the game was not going to be an easy thing for me to do and coaching did seem right the next step for me. And But he told me that you know, you have to go away before you can come back. So um, I think that was probably some of the best advice I've gotten for my personal development in, in my career is because you, you feel like you know Nebraska, but you don't know what it's like anywhere else. And then when you step out, you realize how great Nebraska is, the impact it had on you and what it meant to you. And so when the opportunity came after I coached for a couple of years and I was back here working camp and he had brought up that, um, they were probably going to be looking for a new director of operations, and he really wanted to fill it with somebody that he had played in his program, understood him. Um, coach has very high expectations, very demanding, and if you understand that going in, I think it makes this position a much enjoy more enjoyable position. And um, so he had asked if I thought I'd be interested in that. And at the time, um, I really did love coaching. The only I would say. The thing I probably liked least about it was all the recruiting. And I had been at programs, though, that our recruiting pool was much, much larger than what you're facing here at Nebraska. I mean, you're choosing from the elite players in the country here, and you're only battling with you know a handful of schools to get them. I was dealing with 200-plus in our recruiting pool and 150 schools mm -hmm. trying to get those same 200 kids. So it was at a totally different level. And um, I knew at some point I didn't want to be on the road all the time. And I also knew I wanted to get back to Nebraska. I, I think having gone away and seen what other programs were like, um, and I saw what this was like day in and day out as an athlete, I wanted to be back in it to have hopefully an opportunity, one, to make an impact on other um, young females in the sport, um, but also to give back to a program that gave me so much. And so it was a fairly easy transition to come back. And in and, and the roles that I was serving as an assistant at those other schools, I was doing a lot of what I do as a director of ops here because we didn't have that position. It wasn't a funded position within our program. So I was dealing with the scheduling. I was handling all the travel. I was ordering the equipment. 
and being a coach and watching video and doing all that on top. Um, so obviously not at the level of what Nebraska demanded or required, but I had experience in that. So it wasn't like I was stepping completely away and going into something that I didn't know or, or understand within the sport. And um, it's been a great thing for me because I still am so very much a part of the team and you know understanding the day-to-day of how the program operates, but also then being involved with the X's and O's and and seeing that and with recruiting. And so I still get my hands in all that without it just being strictly that. And I can help our coaches now just worry about the video, the recruiting and the X's and O's, why I manage everything else. So um, it was it was a dream job that came up. And you know, I'm, I'm grateful every day that I get to come to work here. Oh, that's awesome. What about, too, just the you're kind of the person that deals with the athletics department and, and you have a lot of um, meetings and you do a lot within this even just outside of volleyball that you're involved in here on this side of it how much do you enjoy that and, and getting to meet with leadership and all of that kind of stuff too yeah having my hands in so many different parts of the athletic department I think is is another one of the reasons I love this job just because of seeing how what all goes into putting a match together I mean you don't just show up and the match happens especially trying to fill a Devaney Center or trying to fill a stadium I mean there's so much planning that goes in and to see how hard our marketing department works, how hard our ticket office works, to work with you know, development on getting boosters involved. So I get to see so much of what athletics is, collegiate athletics is today, that I'm not just siloed into volleyball, Nebraska volleyball, and what volleyball does. And I think that has really helped me have a better understanding of how others help our program, but also just how much this university works together and how much goes into it to make each sport you know, really have the opportunity to excel and all the resources that are put into it. That's awesome. Well, I never uh, chatted with you about your backstory, so I wanted to, to get to that. <laughs> but, um, okay, let's let's go back to volleyball and, and moving forward. Also serving. I meant to ask you about that earlier. You guys had to be pleased with the, the serving over the last couple of matches. Absolutely. Serving had been a little bit of our caveat here lately and up leading up to these last few matches. The girls really have been working on it in practice. We've gone to a little different strategy of um, – how Coach Cook is is calling the serves and um, the situations of some of the serving, and it's really allowed the girls to go back and just, I think, feel a little more free and uh, to serve the ball in. And to see yesterday to have well way more aces than errors is incredible. I mean, you like to one-to-one ratio, but to see that we exceeded that is um, a positive, especially going in late in the season. Serving is going to play a huge role as you start moving the way into your way into postseasons. As you face more and more dynamic offenses, you have to serve aggressive and tough. So for our players to find confidence in that now and have that in their back pocket as we move forward will be huge for our program. So when you're talking about being like a, a, uh, someone from the service line that's really, really difficult to face, what goes into that? How how does that person become just where whoever it might be, whatever that they do, where it is such a weapon and it is such a challenge to face? Well, some some of the teams like yesterday we faced uh, their setter Mosier had an incredible jump serve. I mean, for somebody to jump serve with that consistency, move the ball, the ball's trailing, it's not coming just it's not like a down ball right at you. It's moving and it's moving at a high velocity. Um, and to have the consistency, consistency that she did is unusual. So um, when we see servers like that that may have a unique serve, whether it's a, a jump serve that's you know cutting one way or trailing one way or the other, maybe a float serve that is always falling off at the end, so it looks high like it's going out but always drops at the end, 
um, or somebody that we call yo-yo serve where it looks like it's coming at you and then all of a sudden it drops short in front of you like they just take a little bit off those type of servers the coaches will pick that up and watch servers a lot in their scout and find that out and so we'll go into practices the whole week before as just as we're prepping for what hitter tendencies are we're prepping for the servers and understanding when this person gets back to the service line as player goes back to serve we need to be you know we want to maybe have four passers out or we want to make sure Lexi's in the middle of court in this rotation so it might even determine how we match up a little bit too or how you know to make sure that the server is serving into our strength um, and one of our stronger rotations and so we can try to get out of it quicker and um, but it's something we'll practice we'll have our managers or players on our team simulate what that server does they watch video on that so they can come into practice and try to simulate the best they can so our hitter so our uh, team gets a look our passers get a look at it and can prepare for it prior to the match and assuming it's just kind of like everything else just practice 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 when that is, becomes a trait for somebody and and those things that they're able to do with the service just like a pitcher and, and practicing a curveball kind of thing. It's just time and reps over and over again. Yeah, I would, uh, practicing that. And then somebody that has really great uh, hand contact on the ball is usually a great server because they're usually hitting it in the right spot time after time after time. Um, and then somebody who's confident. I mean, all great servers have to be confident because if they're, if they're going back and they're a little nervous or not sure if they're going to get that ball in, there's no way they're going to be one of those servers that goes on a run. So just a player who has become confident in that craft and um, has done it, like you said, over and over and over, and they just they, they go back there and know this is their one opportunity and they make the most of it each time. Hmm. Coach said last night in his postgame that Illinois exposed you guys a little bit in the, the third set, I believe. Uh, what's that look like for this week, kind of addressing some of those concerns that you guys saw in film from Illinois? Yeah, um, with every match, there's lessons to be learned. And so uh, the coaches were watching video today and getting things put together. We saw some things in our block we weren't really happy with, blocking defense that we need to make changes on, um, a few things offensively with our tempo that we need to adjust. Um, but those will be things that we'll take into this week and try to get better at because um, like we say, this time of year, teams are either going this direction or they're going this direction. And, and we want to make sure we're still trending and getting better each time we step in the gym. And that's, that's a real challenge at this point because you're in that point of your season where you're waiting for that postseason adrenaline to kick in. You still have two weeks left. You know, Thanksgiving's coming up, the holiday. It's just, it's a tough time. And you're just trying to get to these final weeks of your conference season that's a grind. So um, the coaches really challenged our team after the match last night to say, this week, we need to have that mindset, that championship mindset that we're coming in each day with the mindset we're getting better. Even if it's better at just one little thing, it'll make us better come December. And so um, they'll, they'll have a great plan with how we'll train that and practice these next three days and try to make the most of the training days we have before we play on Friday. Second to last weekend here. It's crazy to believe. I feel like we were just talking about the stadium match, but uh, Michigan on Friday and, and Iowa. And again, you guys faced Michigan earlier, and I know it's, it'll be a – an emotional but also fun match for Harper Murray. But uh, what are the keys for this weekend for the Huskers? I think the biggest key is our side of the net um, to make sure that we continue to put pressure on the teams and not let up. You know, if we are up, we need to finish the, the game, not get complacent or take our foot off the pedal at all. Um, and then we also have to understand that right now the teams that we're playing, these, some of them may not be getting into the tournament. So they have nothing on there as far as pressure. They're going to come out, play free, fun. Um, they're probably going to embrace the environment that they're in because they don't have that opportunity a lot. And 
uh, they're going to come out and, and really go at us, and we're going to have a big target on us. So we need to understand that we're not protecting anything. We're just playing. It's another match. And to really appreciate the opportunity that we have for another home match, a match at home on Friday. It's our last home match. Um, and to enjoy that and our fans and, and enjoy playing together as a team, but also make sure that we are continuing to go in that upward trajectory um, and not let the name across the jersey on the other side affect how we play or the mindset we approach the match at because um, it's that time of year where the, the switch doesn't just flip on and off. It has to be on and be on for good. Is it weird not to be playing in a senior day ceremony? It is weird. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is so unusual, especially when you think of COVID, how COVID was. I mean, that was always the question, like, is it senior day or not senior day? Or is this person going to come back or not? Or do we do it next year? So we don't even have to worry about any of that. So that'll be... Um, It'll be different for us to not do it. And that's a lot of, we've got those questions. Like, are you going to do anything? And um, we don't have any seniors to really recognize or um, do that. But it is our last home match. So we're still going to approach it at that as our last regular season home match. And um, we want to play tribute to great fans that we've had to support us this season and been behind us, supporting us all the way. And so that'll be our focus for Friday. Is it at this point in the season, are you starting to think, okay, we're so close now to get getting to host. I know this team's been about one match at a time, but when you think about the advantage that you get when you get to host in the postseason, is that something that does enter the minds now? Is that something that you do think about and, and try to shoot for at this point? I'm sure it's on everybody's mind. Uh -huh. It's not something that we talk about. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, if we take care of business on our side, then yep. that'll take care of itself. And we that's not in our control. I mean, we only control what we can right now, and that's how we perform each match that we step on the court. And so that's really our focus is not what other teams are doing, not what the NCAA committee is deciding. It's what are we doing as a team and where are we putting ourselves in the best position. Um, but, you know, I'm not, not dumb enough to think that the players aren't thinking that. I mean, obviously our staff is. It, is this time of year you have to kind of think about it because it's – it's coming, and then when it gets here, it's here, and you got to be ready to go. But um, it's not in our talk or language. It's what we're working on to do today to get better. And then as we move forward, when it comes to that time, then we'll address that issue. Love it. Great stuff, as always. Appreciate your time, Lindsay. Thank Peterson you. I appreciate it, Jessica. On the dig. And as always, the dig powered by Emeritus. And as always, make sure you subscribe and like wherever you listen to Never Miss an episode of The Dig right here on the Hospital Radio Network podcast.